What will today bring for our young farmers with threats of a vote of no confidence in the National Federation at a meeting later? We're just trying to be really positive and upbeat and, and move it forward and say, look, there are lots of great opportunities and National are a, you know, it's a strong organisation. It will do something for its members. Also, with the harvest festival season underway today on the programme, I'm asking, is it a harvest worth celebrating? Kelly will be here as well with the latest water quality report and how things in the world of potatoes. A lot of the later crops have made up a little bit more as uh, as time has gone by, so uh, so things have improved sort of as the season has gone on. More from Colin Jackson later. The week in agriculture. This is the farming program with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Yes, it's seen by many as D-Day for the National Federation of Young Farmers Clubs. The National Federation Council meeting is taking place in Warwickshire today, with some regions threatening a vote of no confidence in the national governing body. It all centres on that decision back in August to cancel the AGM after drunken behaviour by a minority, it should be added, uh, during the weekend in Blackpool earlier this year, which brought negative headlines. It's not so much the cancellation that's angered some clubs, though. More how the Federation actually handled that announcement. In Yorkshire, for example, they claim only to have found out through a news outlet's social media. Possibly ours. Uh, Yorkshire is putting three motions forward to the meeting today, as well as the no-confidence vote. It's also asking for a study to examine the cost and other implications if the group was to sever ties with the National Federation, while the other motion urges a fresh survey of members after claiming the current survey had questions posed in such a way as to only generate positive answers. Well, here's what James Eckley, Chief Officer at the National Federation, told us back on the phone in August when the AGM decision was first taken. It's been an incredibly difficult decision for us to make. The organisation and its members have you know, a strong emotional attachment to um, the annual convention. As you say, it's been uh, 50 years in the being, um, but now it's time to look at the wider societal changes. And what are the, uh, the future plans? So the, the future plans are to have an organisation that reflects the, the needs of young people in rural England and Wales, um, making sure that they're away from um, uh, rural isolation and have the opportunity to gain skills, life skills. I guess you've attended the, the convention over the years and enjoyed it at Blackpool? Yeah, um, myself and uh, our staff team have really enjoyed um, working on the convention. You know, I think we have a strong emotional attachment to organising an event that's been very popular, but now is the time to to look at something different when um, young farmers come together um, and look at the skills that they can gain as, lo- as well as the friendships and the social side. There was, of course, the negative headlines earlier this year. Do you think this decision would have happened regardless of that? I suspect it was coming um, regardless, was coming regardless of um, the incidents that happened in 2018, for sure. Um, things are changing, and the event itself was competing with a much wider market in town centres. As I say, that was James Eckley back in August. The decision to axe the AGM led some to claim that it could affect member numbers. That weekend in Blackpool being one reason for joining the Young Farmers. So has it? Uh, Well, no, it doesn't appear so. In Lincolnshire, for example, new clubs are about to be launched. Kate Knight is Strategic Development Officer. We do briefly touch on today's meeting, but first, 
How was uh, Young Farmers Week earlier this month, Kate? Yeah, this is, you know, uh, Young Farmers recruitment time. So the Young Farmer Year starts at the 1st of September. So um, we obviously recruit all the year round, but this has been a big recruitment drive. And Young Farmer members can join from 10 up to the age of 26. We've got not so young farmers when they're over 26. So, yeah, very important to get new, young and new members in. And, and you've got new clubs starting as well. I mean, there's already, uh, I've lost count. How many clubs are there in Lincolnshire at the moment? Yeah, 16 clubs in Lincolnshire. And you've got some more coming on. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a, a, a club, I can't say too much mm-hmm. just yet because we haven't launched it, but a club um, fairly local to Lincoln that's starting for some younger members. We've uh, sort of relaunched our older members club called It Not So's, and then we've got a couple of other leads to follow in the south of the county to open new clubs as well. And that's good that, you know, the fact that you've got all these new clubs opening up as well is obviously a positive sign. Yeah, we're on this target, and perhaps we remember talking about it this time last year. Uh, my target is 1,000 members by 2020, so that was one of the reasons that I was initially employed by Young Farmers. Uh, so we're trying to increase our membership numbers. The clubs did fantastically last year. All the clubs increased their membership numbers. Uh, the members are really embraced in the thousand members by 2020. They love it. Um, and, and yeah, we, you know, we have to open new clubs to, to make that happen. Because the the National Federation have, have taken the decision over the AGM and not visiting Blackpool anymore. Um, there was a fear that might knock membership of the young farmers because you know people are, you know they're attracted to a nice weekend in Blackpool. That that's not the case though. Yeah, we're hoping not. Um, I think that National are still very much in discussion about what they're going to perhaps offer as an alternative. We're pushing on with. Um, big big social events for our own members we're very much involved in the east midlands area weekend that we that we hold we're lucky enough to hold in lincolnshire so that is a is a big a big draw socially for our members and we're trying to you know offer great things in lincolnshire young farmers as well as fantastic socials but great opportunities for training and you know enjoying their clubs and being an active member within their clubs so you know fingers crossed whilst we're disappointed about the agm we're waiting to see what will happen and we're we're moving forward with some great ideas and the the event you're talking about that's in march isn't it the big east midlands event that's it yeah so the five counties in east midlands area it's it's essentially a competitions weekend so the counties compete against each other in various competitions from speaking competitions to sports and it's where they're sort of um trying to win the east midlands weekend and then go on to compete for their county nationally so great competitive weekend with some fantastic social evenings and we're really lucky to have it in lincolnshire because obviously that's a great draw for our members too what's the feeling within young farmers at the moment from 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 your side of things yeah the vote in no confidence i think is um a little bit recent and new so we've although we've discussed the whole loss of agm in our member you know the members have discussed that in their meetings um they're going to discuss that a little bit more it's difficult for me to comment now you know different members will have different ideas but we're just trying to be really positive and upbeat and and move it forward and say look be a Lincolnshire young farmer there are lots of great opportunities and national are a, a, a you know it's a strong organization it will do something for its members because it it has and it will continue to well let's look at the positives uh, you know it's been a successful young farmers week uh, already i know you've got big ideas as well to even attract more and more members 2020 is getting ever closer as well so you know this, the, that, that target is still there and you, you think you're going to hit it yeah yeah i hope so um 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's great to have a target, isn't it? We're, we're moving towards it. I think the members, the, the thing that I like the most is the members have bought into it. I think they realise, you know, it is a member-led organisation. They run their own clubs. I only sort of facilitate it from the top. They they, they come up with all these great initiatives. And um, I, they've really bought into it. And, and I think, you know, you, you recognise you have to have a good number of people to make a club and a good number of clubs to make a federation, you know, and makes us stronger, you know, against our other counties that we compete against uh, the more members we get the more votes we get at council the more members we get the more opportunities we can put in for competitions and training and access grants so it just snowballs into a, a really great vibrant county Kate Knight of the Lincolnshire Young Farmers will be uh, watching carefully what does come from the National Federation Council meeting and it's a subject no doubt we will return to over the coming weeks as well now, it's been a few weeks since we last heard from Colin Jackson at PJP, so uh, let's put that right. Last week we heard from Martin Clough of the Lincoln Reds. They had a great sale yesterday. He wanted some rain. Uh, you're old school friends of Martin's, aren't you, Colin? What about you? Do you want rain? How's the weather been? Um, yeah, it's been all right. I mean, obviously the dry conditions have meant that limited yields around and about. Um, having said that... Um, a lot of the later crops have made up a little bit more as uh, as time has gone by. So uh, so things have improved sort of as the season has gone on. And heading into Christmas, how are things looking? There's a lot of stuff left to go into store. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, A, whether it all comes out of the ground. As I say, you know, if it does start to rain, you know, in the next sort of 10 days or so and not know when to stop, then, you know, we could be in a muddle. Um, if everything makes it into store, then I think we will see reasonable stocks going forward and, and past Christmas and then it'll be interesting to see because there'll be a lot of imports starting to come in you know you get to February March time people have seen a potential shortage so there's been extra crop planted in the southern Mediterranean countries and this kind of thing so it could be that we actually see if anything you know a, a lack of demand let's say after Christmas. And what is quality at the moment? Quality is pretty good. Um, there's a little bit of second growth around where literally the potatoes had stopped growing and then started again and they've literally retuberized, so new potatoes effectively coming in. So there is that. Now, it has been controlled relatively well with chemicals and what have you, but um, that can cause a problem. You, you get mixed fries and mixed cooking qualities um, and you'll see certain potatoes where you get a yellow potato, an extra white potato. It actually looks like different varieties but it's not it's just different stages of growth um, and that does cause problems in the in the cooking process and the prices at the moment prices are still maintaining very well uh, there's quite a big gap between at one end sort of down in the sort of 200 pound still good prices but down at that kind of level for for packing um, where people are looking for a bit of movement really up to the dizzy height sort of 450 pounds a ton for the very very best frying quality gear so um you know some really good money still available for the very best quality so overall it's it's really just down to the weather now watching the weather over the next few weeks yeah very much it's down to how things go into store um as i say people have really gambled a little bit i would say at the moment um on it being a relatively dry autumn um at the moment it looks like a good gamble but uh, yeah we just have to wait and see if everything does come in but certainly people will still be harvesting into november um and obviously we can get some frost around by that point as well which which also could do some damage
Thanks for that. That's Colin Jackson, uh, PJP. Right, from potatoes to the grain markets, let's get the latest. Uh, Kit is with us from Open Field. Hi, Kit. Morning, Sean. How are you? I'm very well, very well. What are the markets like? Well, uh, quite really overall, but we have finally had some rain at the end of last week and the beginning of this week. But again, it's been very varied across the county. But it will do no end of good for the recently drilled wheat and the last flush of black grass for anybody who is delaying their wheat drilling. The UK market has not been affected by the neutral USDA report that came out last week. This week has seen the London market drop a couple of pounds due to currency, but there is little else to lift a relatively flat market. Corn, maize, is still the cheapest commodity currently trading on the market, and the question is, how much can the world consume? Where will the imported maize come from? Due to Trump's trade tariffs, it's unlikely it will be exported out of the USA. South America is also out of the question, given it's the wrong time of year and they haven't started harvesting. So the most likely option is the Ukraine. The Ukraine has a 25 million tonne exportable surplus, given the fact the UK has already imported 5 million tonnes of corn in the first quarter of the new crop year, we would need an additional 15 million tonnes from the Ukraine for the rest of the year, and it is unlikely that we would be able to export it from anywhere else. So again, if it's not the Ukraine, where will it come from? Oilseed rape, the Matif market, took its lead from the US, however, has struggled to maintain early momentum this week. Once again, consumers have been reluctantly focusing on the nearby positions with only a limited nominal carry into the new year, with both the fall in value and crude oil and a firmer British pound being pointed as the main drivers of a lack of enthusiasm. New crop markets have not really figured, although comments have been made regarding how recent rains seem to have pushed on planted crops and noticeable improvement over the last week. Whilst this is still likely there will be a reduction in the area of oilseed rape, it has not changed our values over the last weeks. Barley. Another week with limited news. Barley markets remain moribund as consumers sit on the sidelines, with even limited volume in the middle market being seen. UK domestic consumers are happy with the current level of cover in the pre-Christmas period. We have been seeing some variability in malting barley recently, and there have been cases where infestation has set in due to high moisture. If you have forward sales on the books or still have barley sat in the shed on farm, keep monitoring it, as this could prevent hassle in the future. Premiums have seen little movement, with the only movement in the underlying feed barley values impacting on premiums. Spring barley is nominally reflected at circa £27 to £32, depending on location and quality, and winter barley is circa £15 to £20. Prices this week. Feed wheat for November, 169 to 171 February 174 to 176 and May 177 to 179. Milling premiums are currently between 14 and 16 pounds. All seed rate November 320 to 322, February 323 to 325 and May 326 to 328. Feed barley for November is 154 to 156 with February 167 to 169. One pound carry going forward. As I said earlier, malting barley premiums for winters are 15 to 20 pounds and springs are between 27 and 32. Beans for November, high prices on beans, November 210 to 215, February 214 to 217, and May 217 to 220. Human consumption premiums, end users are buying on different terms and different specifications and can be anywhere between £20 and £45. So please speak to your open field farm business manager for a more accurate value.
Last week on the programme, Nick Morris from British Sugar mentioned that the British beet industry had put in an emergency application for neonicotinoids for next year's crop, but it had been rejected by government. Sean Sparling is our crop doctor uh, from Sparling Agronomy Services. Uh, Sean, what do you make of it all? Yes, good morning, Sean. Well, to be blunt, I'm getting absolutely sick of having these conversations. We're talking about something which should never have gone in the first place. It is a controlled delivery of an insecticide, one of the safest insecticides we have access to, one of the -the state-of-the-art precision farming placed exactly where it needs to be placed to avoid any collateral damage, and we've got rid of them. We knew that we weren't going to get derogation, if we're all completely honest, because Gove, Eustace, and all of them in that department, despite their nods and reassuring glances, had already made their mind up that they weren't going to give us any derogation on these neonicotinoid seed dressings on sugar beet. The implications for sugar beet, we spoke about it a few weeks ago. We could lose 60-70% of the yield of a sugar beet crop. If you were a businessman and somebody said to you, it's going to cost you this much to grow this crop, and actually you won't know if you're going to get your money back until you've lifted it in a year's time, chances are you probably won't, you wouldn't even entertain going into that business venture. The Dragon's Den would kick it out and say it's just not practicable. That's the position we're now in. People have to make very difficult choices because beat Western Yellow's virus, when you see that in the field, it is something to behold. And 60% is a very, very conservative estimate of what we may lose. But it's not just sugar beet because not only are we going to have to use more insecticides now to spray in sugar beet, insecticides that won't do anything like the job the neonicotinoids were doing on the target pest, the Mises persicae, which carry the virus because we're struggling to control them because of resistant issues against pyrethroids. So the next result of taking away the neonicotinoids is it puts all the pressure on pyrethroids so not only does the resistance in the population increase but you then will start to see the activists and the lobbyists getting onto Mr Gove saying hey have you noticed pyrethroid use is increasing we ought to get them banned as well and before we know it we're not going to have any insecticides agriculture will come to a halt. It's a bit the same with cereals. We've lost neonicotinoids on the seed for wheat. That means we're going to have to use more slug pellets, use more foliar applications of insecticide. It's a backward step. It's not a forward step. And it is so frustrating that despite the assurances that come out of the mouths of Gove, Eustace and their allies and the people who are working with them, that they're only ever going to base decisions on absolute science fact that's an absolute nonsense because this clearly proves it. Anyway, I mean, you'd look at the bigger picture as well. It's bad for bees because if we lose pyrethroids as a result of what may come in the next five years, if the pressure goes on pyrethroids and the lobbyists ask for them to be removed as well, that's going to damage bees because we use pyrethroids in apiarists and, and beekeeping to control varroa mite. The, the Asian hornet that's coming in, how do people think we're going to control that if not with insecticide? So you have to look at the bigger picture and it's very, very frustrating, incredibly disappointing, but completely unsurprising, if I'm honest. Right, let's do a quick roundup of uh, the cereals and the oilseed rape crops. A lot of wheat drilling happened in the last seven days, a lot of rain as well. 20 odd mil of rain, that's done a massive amount of good, and you can see the black grass flushing. Sadly, not just in stale seed beds, but also in some of the fields which have already been drilled and the black grass is coming up. That'll need monitoring. And if it's at punitive levels, then it's going to need dealing with, with some glyphosate and redrilling. 
drilling. Um, so a lot going on, some very good seed beds out there. This week, I think coming, we'll see an awful lot of wheat go in the ground. Seed rates somewhere between 275, 300 at this point of the season. Don't put too much on. You've still got warm soils. Every seed will grow, but work your seed rate out based upon the 1,000 grain weight because it is very variable this year. If you've got a high 1,000 grain weight, you may not be putting enough seed on. If you've got a low 1,000 grain weight, you may be putting way too many on. And we can always make a thin crop thicker. We're going to struggle to make a thick crop thinner. Um, but there is quite a lot of mildew out there in some of the earlier drilled wheats that went in on the non-black grassland. That needs watching. The weather may well deal with that for us. I'm not doing anything about it. Just let's have a few frosts. That'll slow it right down, what we've had this week anyway. A um, little bit of manganese showing up as well, but an awful lot of aphid activity. So if you haven't got the deter seed dressing on, take your average day temperature, add them up until you get to 170. From the day the crop emerges, that's when you need to trigger if you can go out and find aphids in the field. But also look out there on a foggy morning such as Friday morning, the amount of spider activity in these fields is quite phenomenal. These fields are covered in gossamer thread and all of those little spiders are eating aphids as well. So unless you're hitting threshold, don't go putting insecticides on and if you do, use the kind of material. Oilseed rate, foamer levels remain relatively low like leaf spot. I haven't seen any yet. Look at the, the size of the crop. If you've got a big, thick, frothy crop, you're going to need some growth regulatory properties from the fungicide. Metconazole, tebuconazole, they're going to do that job for you but also remember that prothiconazole has no growth regulatory effects whatsoever and do you really want to be putting a growth regulator on a backward crop of oilseed rate which is struggling speak to your agronomist pick the right tools for the job and take the opportunity to top up nutrients micronutrients like manganese magnesium boron but just watch the mixing in the tank and make sure you're picking product which all mix properly in the tank an old chap i used to work with used to call it the flame test he used to say, if you mix it all together in a bucket and it doesn't burst into flames, it'll be okay to put in the sprayer. I don't necessarily hold with that. So speak to your advisor, make sure that what you're mixing mixes well, because boron doesn't mix with everything uh, and, you know, a lot of other problems in a lot of other products. So let's hope we get some good weather again this week, warm weather, get some drilling done, but don't forget the benefit of those stale seed beds and don't forget to get the glyphosate on before you drill. And also, for goodness sake, get those preems on within three days of drilling because once that black grass gets its roots down you're in a position where it's grown away from that herbicide if you can drill spray pick a, a window on bad black grass fields where you're actually being able to spray that pre-em after you've drilled no good drilling it in a howling gale that's set fair for 10 days and then being too late with the pre-em so yeah everything to play for um, very disappointed about the news from Westminster, but completely unsurprised. Uh, very little surprises him. That's Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. It doesn't feel like two weeks ago since we last heard from Kelly Houston Fisher at Anglian Water, but it is. So uh, Kelly's back with another update for us. Good morning. Looking at our water quality data over this last fortnight and following the rainfall last weekend, we have seen an increase in the metaldehyde levels, the active ingredient in some slug pellets. Slug pellets have been applied to some recently drilled wheat crops, and whilst some pellets have contained metaldehyde, some have used the alternative ferric phosphate, which is not soluble in water and therefore it does not affect drinking water quality. There are stewardship guidelines when using metaldehyde, which are in place to protect small mammals and birds, and these stewardship guidelines include leaving a 10 metre buffer on all field boundaries, regardless of whether there is a watercourse present or not. 
As we move into the season and we look at blackgrass control in oilseed rape, levels of carbetamide in products such as crawler and propizamide in products such as curb are detected. Carbetamide is treated, um, as I've mentioned previously, within the water treatment works within the granular activated carbon GAC process. Propizamide is much more difficult to treat within the ozone process. For further stewardship guidance on the oilseed rape herbicides, you can visit the Voluntary Initiative website. As a reminder, please check if your land is in a surface water or groundwater safeguard zone by using the What's in Your Backyard website. Thank you, and I'll be back in a fortnight with another water quality update. Thanks, Kelly. Kelly Hewson Fisher. We're now well into October, and that means Harvest Festival, whether at schools, local churches, or today at Lincoln Cathedral, with representatives from across the area attending. On Friday, I visited the cathedral as they were busy setting up for today's service. Alison Twiddy is project manager of the LRSN. We probably don't value food in general um, as much as we should, and I think it really brings the focus on to what is a very basic human need. And as you say, Sean, it's been a very tough year weather-wise, um, and harvest has been a scary time for lots of people. And yes, the future is still scary, but there is one thing for certain. We will all need at least one meal on our tables per day if not three and this is a way of us looking at uh, what's happening in the industry and also celebrating and thinking about the future. Is it a harvest worth celebrating this year? Yes I believe the harvest is worth worth celebrating always it's worth celebrating all that hard work for example Um, and I think you know the the gift that is being able to work in Lincolnshire agriculture or in any kind of agriculture. Whilst it's a tough life, um, I think there are many that wouldn't swap it. Of course, LRSN are heavily involved as well in, in your role here in, in helping to organise um, the event. Again, you know, offering that service if, if people need it too yeah we've been the busiest we've ever been in the last mm. year um, since I've been project manager which unbelievably is 10 years we've had the most farming families come to us uh, so over 140 farming families and the the problems are becoming very complex and very much focused on the mental health aspects of the worries I suppose which going back to what you were just saying the harvest the future um, what that looks like um, being resilient for the future, being prepared for the future. Uh, So that's the sort of thing that we are trying to do, both with the people who come to us and also with young farmers with the Rural Plus workshops that we've been doing. So we want to do a bit of prevention rather than curing. Should be a good event. That's Alison Twiddy at the LRSN ahead of today's Harvest Festival. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. It's a sunny start to Sunday, but it will cloud over come the afternoon. The wind from the west-southwest, 15 to 20 miles an hour. Mild, though, temperatures at 17 Celsius. That cloud clearing overnight, pushing temperatures down to 6 Celsius. The wind, more from the northwest, 10, maybe gusting at 30 miles an hour for a time. And then tomorrow, starts sunny, but clouds over through the afternoon. 12, the high, a little nearer the norm. Uh, the wind continuing from the north-northwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Staying cloudy Monday into Tuesday, we've got lows of 8 Celsius. Could be quite breezy, actually, from the west, gusting at 30 miles an hour. And then some sunshine, but mostly cloudy through Tuesday. Temperatures at 14 Celsius, the wind again from the northwest, at about 15 miles an hour. 
And that's the forecast. Uh, well done to the winners of Thursday's British Farming Awards held in Birmingham. Among the winners, Andrew Hausman of Sleaford's Hausman Agriculture, awarded Contractor Innovator of the Year. Also, uh, Johnny and Dulcie Crickmore of Fen Farm in Suffolk, they took Dairy Innovator of the Year. And Mary Mead of the O Valley was awarded the Outstanding Contribution Award this year. Uh, fully deserved. You'll find the full list of winners online, by the way. That's it for this week. We have a pre-Halloween programme for you next time we chat. Maybe a pumpkin or two in there. Until then, have a good week's farming.